Welcome back, Concordia family. It is good to be with you again today, Monday, April 6th. I hope you had a wonderful, enjoyable weekend. You know, we have made it through the bulk of the Lenten season, and now we've entered into Holy Week, which is a really impactful time for our family, the body of Christ, as we make our way with Jesus through these momentous events through which he forever changed the course of human history and specifically changed our lives in such dramatic ways. Yesterday was Palm Sunday when we remember those Jerusalem crowds who threw a parade, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Which got me thinking about our question for today. If you could be king or queen for a day, what is one thing that you would do? Take some time to think about that right now and maybe even share it with someone around you. You know, feel free to share your responses with others, maybe even throughout the day via text message or other form of communication. And when you do, you can share with them this point as well. Jesus is the King of Kings, and in his grace, he calls us with invitation to bring our questions, our doubts, our aching souls, and to find rest and peace and joy and a place with the King. I invite you to join in singing The King is Calling. Come every beating heart that longs to find its worth. Come every aching soul in need of something more. Come with your questions, come with your doubts, bring them to the Lord. Come on, you castaways left out of every crowd. Come on, you outsiders unwanted until now. You are a people, and you have a place waiting with the Lord. Troubled and restless, hungry and helpless, sing for joy.
We pray. Lord Jesus, on Palm Sunday, you rode into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is the King. But you did not come to meet earthly expectations of a king. You came in a merciful humility to be our Savior, to take upon yourself our flesh, to suffer death upon the cross, and to welcome us into the merciful reign of your kingdom. We thank you for your life-giving sacrifice. Meet our troubled and restless lives with the fullness of your love and grace and truth. For indeed you are strong in justice and rich in mercy. Amen. Today as we continue through our Monday series, Jesus, really? We jump back a few chapters from the Palm Sunday events as we take a look at a curious healing account found in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Today, leading our time of study in the Word, we have Professor Brett Taylor. Good morning. The hymn writer Samuel Rodegas wrote the following for a friend of his who was pretty sick for a period of time. What God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm, though many storms may gather. Now I may know both joy and woe. Someday I shall see clearly that he has loved me dearly. Our Bible study for this Monday of Passion Week is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. The book of Mark, written by the evangelist John Mark, who based it on accounts from Peter and Paul, is written to show all people, especially the Gentiles, that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is also the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Mark shows us that the religious authorities, the crowds, and especially at times his own disciples don't really see who Jesus is. But the demons, the Gentile woman from last week's study, and at the end of the gospel, the centurion at the foot of the cross seem to. They realize that Jesus is God's Son. Here in Mark chapter 8, we have a Jesus really moment that's only found here in the book of Mark. It makes it a bit more difficult to figure out what's happening, but using the context of the book and other scriptures, hopefully we can gain an insight into Jesus' love and care for a single blind man, but also for all of humanity who are blind to his true nature because of our inherited sin. In Mark 8 verse 22, we read, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, 
I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Well, Mark chapter 8 is about halfway through the gospel. Mark focuses much of his writing on the back half of Jesus' ministry. So here Jesus and his disciples have entered the town of Bethsaida on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee after a boat trip. A group has heard of Jesus' ministry and brought a man who is blind for Jesus to lay hands on and hopefully heal him. It is kind of weird that nowhere in this account is faith or trust in Jesus mentioned at all. None of the people bringing this man to Jesus, nor the man himself, is identified as having faith in who Jesus really is. So why is Jesus helping him? Is it solely because of his need? Maybe. Or maybe it's an opportunity for Jesus to instruct his disciples in a more meaningful way while also helping this man. The context of this account comes after that boat ride and the teaching that Jesus had on the leaven of the Pharisees. Pastor Siegert's chapel a few weeks back did a great job of reminding us that being a disciple is hard and that the leaven of the Pharisees is based on that feeling that our works is enough to puff us up just like leaven does in bread. In Mark 8 verse 16 we hear, And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? So not long after that boat ride, they entered into a town where a blind man is placed before Jesus to be healed. Maybe this is a chance to show them what it looks like to not perceive or understand or to have eyes and not see. Some folks are kind of concerned that it took Jesus multiple times to get this man's eyesight correct. But where does it say Jesus has to heal in just one step? Is it a weakness of God that it takes multiple times for this man to see correctly? The biggest healing we all need is that of the heart. How many times do people have to hear the gospel for that healing to take place? Clearly, Jesus has the ability to heal in one fell swoop, but he doesn't. Why? The disciples have followed Jesus on a daily basis and only partially see who he is. This week, the week of the Passion, we'll see lots of people in our scripture readings that not only partially see, but don't see at all who Jesus is. The crowds will turn on him. The religious leaders will plot against him. His own disciples will fall asleep. They'll run away. They'll deny him. But somehow we think because of where we live and when we live, we see fully because we can look back in time. I would say that we have better sight, but I'm not sure it's full sight. Matter of fact, I'm not sure in this world if we can fully see at all. 1 Corinthians 13.12 reminds us of this. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Jesus is demonstrating for all around the hiddenness of who he is. 
Would we have seen Jesus as the Messiah, the true Son of God, come into the flesh if we were there? I like to think so, but sometimes I wonder. But even in the trust and full dependence God has given us in our baptism, we know that we still must work through a hidden view of Jesus, even from this side of the cross. Our sinful nature, the world, and Satan continue to pull at us to ignore who the person and work of Christ is. Maybe we do this when we need to put ourselves into a place where we can do something to help God out, like go to church more, pray more, be more ethical people. Instead of these being responses to what God has already given, we can turn them into necessities, into a law. Then we have sight that's clouded, and we miss who Jesus is and what he's really done for us. So we continually live our lives having to deal with this hiddenness of Jesus. Gene Veith, in his book, The Spirituality of the Cross, wrote this. To say that God is hidden, of course, does not mean that he is absent. On the contrary, someone who is hidden is actually present, just not seen. The child who is hiding in the room is certainly there. God conceals himself often in things that we would least expect, a crucified criminal, a book, water, bread, wine, a gouty pastor, trials and suffering, human beings working and raising their families. I do find it interesting that what the man first saw was people as trees. Clearly, he was just describing what he thought he saw, but this Passion Week, it does remind us that the God-man who was healing him would be carrying his own tree to a hill outside of Jerusalem. Do we see the people around us and the crosses they're carrying as well? Are we able to identify the burdens and weights that others around us have daily? This will be, for most of us, a Passion Week unlike any other. Can we see those crosses that those closest to us in our own homes bear right now? May God give us the sight and the wisdom to see those nearest to us and their needs each day. Once Jesus does his corrective healing, he sends this man straight home without sending him back to the group or back into the village. It's kind of a spiritual quarantine, and it might have been for the man's own good. If the group that brought him to be healed had ulterior motives, Jesus is probably just protecting him. But I find it ironic that the man gains sight and is sent home. And we're told that we'll have full sight once we get home. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. As we view this Passion Week, we pray that we see clearly God's work in Jesus Christ leading to a cross on Friday, an empty grave on Sunday, and a promise of perfect sight that awaits us all in heaven. Samuel Rodegast ended his hymn, What God Ordains is Always Good, this way, and may it be our prayer today. What God ordains is always good, this truth remains unshaken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, I shall not be forsaken. 
I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me, so to my God I yield me. May God bless your day. Lord Jesus Christ, we often feel frustrated, hurt, and isolated. Many of us feeling that way even now. Today we have been reminded of how you opened the eyes of the blind. Open our eyes to view our lives in light of your cross and your Easter resurrection. That we would turn to you trustingly, endure patiently, live hopefully, expectantly. Help us not only to see how your grace is at work in our lives, but to take notice of the burdens others are experiencing right now. By your Holy Spirit, equip us to see and discern ways we can help. And fill us with your compassion, that we would be moved from awareness to action, and bring care and mercy to them. Amen. I pray the Lord's richest blessings on you the rest of this holy week, and I look forward to being with you tomorrow when we will once again be fed and nourished as we gather together in the word of life, Jesus Christ.